Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's conversation, I am chatting to Nick Leach, Head of Catering Services at the University of Portsmouth. Now, in terms of career variety, I doubt if many can match Nick's four decades in hospitality. One of his first jobs was working as the king of Saudi Arabia's personal chef on a nine million pound motor yacht. And after that, he found himself catering to excess for the merchant bankers in London, where 25,000 pounds a week was set aside for caviar alone, served in huge handcrafted swan ice carvings. Now, this was in stark contrast to his next role, where as general manager at King's College Hospital, his daily budget per patient was £1.76, and that had to cover seven hot drinks a day in addition to breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then for the last 18 years, he's been drawing on this wealth of contrast and experience to manage the catering at the University of Portsmouth. In any one week, he has a potential 29,000 hungry students and staff to feed, and he still makes time to take his chefs to see local food producers, from the organic dairy and flour mill to the free-range chicken farm. Nick is a legend of hospitality. He's an amazing man with amazing stories, and I really hope you enjoy his insight in this week's conversation. Enjoy. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for sparing the time to have a chat today. You're most welcome. Um, so I've done a lot of interviews in the last couple of months, and normally I'm in a field somewhere, maybe introducing a, uh, a farmer, or I've come from a, a vineyard this morning where they were doing wine. This is, I think, the first one that I've done in a city, but can you just explain, where are we on planet Earth? Okay, we're, we're in, in Portsmouth, um, which is, uh, believe it or not, uh, an island city, um, which some people don't realise, so you, you actually travel... Whichever way you come into the city, you, you travel across water. At high tide, we, we're, we're surrounded by water. Um, they say it's one of the unique, unique selling points of, of, of the city. But I'm not here to talk yes. about fish. Yes. So you <laughs> have been, you know, we're, we're at the university, which is yeah. where you now yeah. work, but you've been, and we'll come to the story, and I'm excited today to learn about, I guess, the new people coming into the industry and the training that's going on, because it's so important. But we're going to come to that. But I want yes. to start with, you've been in hospitality for 40 years. Yes. How did your uh, adventure start? Because that's good going. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Um, where did it start? I, I suppose at the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, back in 1976, uh, when I first started, was uh, I suppose 75, 76, leaving, you know, about to, to start to leave school. Um, I was very fortunate enough because um, it's a bit of a seems a bit of an odd story in these days. But uh, my mum used to cook. She, I wouldn't say my mum was a brilliant cook, but she, you know, she cooked, and I and I, I'm an only child, so I always had the opportunity to help her in the kitchen. Um, and um, 
when it came to going to senior school uh, and, and all of a sudden you had to, to, to choose what I suppose we'd call a, 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 you know, the boys had a choice of, of woodwork, metalwork or, or, or technical drawing. Um, and uh, my father was a, was a turner and fitter and, and you know, it, it was quite interesting because I, I went off to do to, to woodwork first, but I think I lasted about four weeks and they realised that, that I was hopeless. So I, I got moved into, into the metalwork class um and, and i was no good at that as why well. so they said well you know you have to go into technical drawing so i went off to technical drawing and i think the first three weeks i i, I drew a pirate map um and and and, <laughs> and the technical drawing teacher said like i've got this this guy's hopeless we can't do anything with him so i i, I got called up and to, to to the deputy head and, and and she said well you know we can't you can't do metal work you can't do woodwork you can't do technical drawing it was more embarrassing actually because the woodwork teacher was was actually um, my cousin and, and, and even he couldn't do anything with it so they said what would you like to do and I said well, I, I love cooking and, and they said well okay but I said you know can I do home economics and they said you have to go yeah you have to kind of set yourself back so we're talking about 1975 here um, so they said well well you know there's, there's no boys doing it's just the girls and I said well Fine, you know, just just give me a give me a go. So another selling point. Oh, there, was, there was lots of um and an R in, and, and and I got put into the home economics class. So it was like yeah, it's twenty five girls and me, um, and it was predominantly cooking. It was you know making a quiche, making lemonade, and all stuff like that. But I I just absolutely loved it. And by about the fifth week, I was I was not only doing my stuff, but I was helping the teacher, helping the girls, and stuff like that. And I and I did that for. For the two years, and, and and I loved it. And it was it, the, the funny thing of the irony of the story is that that when it actually came to the end of it, when you had to do your uh, what then was the GSE or the CSE, the exam for it, part of the home economics exam was to um, to do three things. So you had to cook a two-course meal from scratch, but you had to iron a shirt and bath a baby because that was the curriculum <laughs> thing for, for home economics. And Where did you and, get a baby from? Uh, well, <laughs> that's the funny thing. They, they wouldn't let me do it. Really? They they said, we can't have a, a, a boy bathing a baby, so you won't be able to do the exam. And, and I said, well, that's a bit harsh because... So they wrote to um, Hampshire... Uh, education people and said, "Well, you know, we, we've got this boy. He's, he's been cooking for for two years, and and but now the exams come up. And what about ironing the shirt and bathing the baby?" And they said, "Like, oh." So they wrote back and said, "Well, you know, he can't bath a baby. I mean, it was a plastic baby. I mean, he can't bath a baby. <laughs> but if he can iron a shirt um, and cook and cook up." like a, a three-course meal instead of a two-course meal. So I said, like, yeah, fine. So I, I remember I kind of went home and said to my mum, like, you know, can teach me how to iron a shirt. And I, I've been ironing them ever since. But So I did the exam and, and, I, part, and, and, and I got it and it was great. So, Excellent. Have, then, you, have you since uh, been able to bath a baby in your... In your I, have, I have two grown-up daughters and, and one okay. of them has just gone into catering, which is, is obscene because she's she got a first-class... Uh, honours in, in English literature from St Mary's University in London I, I desperately wanted her to be an editor or, a, or a, you know some kind of script writer or, or, or something and uh, she she's thrown everything into the wind and she's just opened a restaurant in Woolacombe wow, in, in really? North Devon which is is I'm very proud of her because yeah. it's fantastic but yeah I do 
they say, oh, sorry, don't put your, your daughter on the stage and she's kind of done yeah. the same well, thing. Well, you know how hard it is, so I'm sure you'd yeah. have, uh, yeah, what's so, yeah, I, 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 I have since bathed a baby, so that, that, <laughs> okay, that, excellent. that, that, Good that was wonderful. But So in the meantime, um, I went off to, some somebody kind of said to me about going off to the Polytechnic where they did chefs, so I, where they trained chefs, you know, whatever the next stage is. So I, I, I kind of pitched up one day and said, like, you know, can I come and see what it's like? And they said, yeah, fine. So I, I, I think I did three three consecutive Wednesday afternoons working with the, the first year students at the time, which obviously were two years older than me. Um, and I think the guy, the lecturer there, you know, after the third week, he, he pulled me to one side and he said, you, you've, you've got something. You, you, I, I can see it. There's, there's something. Um, I, I never understood it for many years until I got a little bit older. And then when, when you work with, with young people, and, and you can see whether someone's got that aptitude to be a chef, um, yeah, the next thing was that they wrote to the they wrote to the school and said, like, you know, he's he's you know, there's there's eighteen months to go, but he's got a place here. When when he finishes school, he's got a place here um, because we think he's that good. So I, I was very fortunate. I, I remember I still had to go and see the careers, what they called a careers officer, and I, I remember if as if it was yesterday. There was there was a it was. A, <laughs> It was a long. I was surprised Rowan Atkinson wasn't actually sat at the end of it. It was. It was a long room, and you, you kind of walked in, and he was sat on the other side of a desk, and there was like a single chair. And I sat down, and he, he didn't even look up, and he just said, "Army, Navy, Air Force, or dockyard." And and there was a silence, and and I kind of leant forward and said, uh, "None of those." And he didn't even look up, and he, he said, "What do you mean, none of them?" What's I, I said, "I'm going to coaching college. I'm going to be a chef." And he went, he just like screwed the piece of paper up and put it in the bin and just said like, next. <laughs> so you're on your so, own. Yeah. Uh, and I remember going home and telling my mum and my, my mum wanted to, to break because my, all my, my last, last three generations of my family came from Portsmouth. My dad was in the dockyard. My granddad was in the dockyard. His granddad, you know, my great granddad was in the dockyard. So it's a natural flow. So mum needed to convince dad that, that, that to tell him that I was going to be a chef, which was, was quite a shock to him. He didn't actually, he wasn't very happy about it and, and not completely, but he, he, he was very off with me for, for about three years when, when, I, when I first started to do it. And I was very fortunate when I was 21, um, I competed in what they call the um, Culinary Olympics in London at Hotel Olympia. Um, and and I and I won uh, I won a bronze medal um, for best under twenty one. And then when I came back to Portsmouth, it was on the news. It was in the paper and stuff. And that, that I think at that point, my dad finally got to the point where he took what I was doing seriously. And and he was saying, you know, you know, oh, my son's in the paper and my son's on the radio, my son's on the TV and stuff like that. So I think at that time, I, I kind of got accepted to the fact that my chosen career path that was was I quite good at it. Yeah, he'd it's, forgiven you for ironing a shirt then as an example yes, at that point. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah, three years is quite a long time to, uh, to, to not talk well, to. Well, yeah, I mean, in the old days, people were a bit more old-fashioned if you found, if you didn't talk to someone. I remember him telling me the story about that his, his mum used to cook different, his mum used to cook him different things and he said to her one day, it's, you know, can't we ever have pork chopping? And then he had pork chop every day for a year. I don't, I don't, I don't actually know that story. Is yeah. I think in the old days people took things to extreme. But So yeah, that's, I was very fortunate. So I, 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 I start, you know, I, was, I lived in Portsmouth and, and so I came to Polytechnic and, and, I, and I did three 
three years of of here. Um, uh, we did everything from in the first year. It was very old fashioned training in those days. So I remember the first year, all we did was stocks and sauces. Uh, and but I think in the in the in the repertoire, there's something like 140 different potato dishes. And I always remember on the Friday afternoon in the first year, um, we we were meant to finish at four o'clock, but at three o'clock, um, the the actual lecturer that we had, so he used to go around the classroom and he would actually eat, ask. He would just call out a potato dish in French, and if you could recite the the ingredients and the recipe, you could go. But if you didn't, he just went on to the next person. So you could either go kind of really early, but or you'd be there till gone six o'clock. Yeah, 140 um, dishes, that's a lot. Yeah, but it was a great way because it, it really focused you on trying to remember because you needed to, uh, you know, to, 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 to know all that. There's some, I, I tell you, in, in the repertoire, there's some really weird and wonderful potato dishes that, that even to this day I've... There's one particular one where where you get a square of, of, of potato, raw potato, and you hollow the middle out um, like it would have been a ball, and then you take that out, and then you make a small ball of, of um, um, pork, pork mincemeat, and put it back into the potato, and then it's deep fried. I've never seen that. Wow. I've only ever seen it in the repertoire, but it was all Amazing. these things you had to remember. But yeah, in the first year, we did lots of sauces, and in the second year... We went into larder, kitchen, um, food production, um, and uh, yeah, and that's where my kind of love of 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 um, sauces came from. Um, I, I understand that I was very good at pastry. Um, he said, "I hate pastry. Um, really? I hate I hate getting muckled over my fingers. I hate I hate getting flour on my shoes." Um, and, and the pastry, we had an Italian pastry chef uh, lecturer. He he, he was. He said I'd make a great patisserie, but it was just I didn't I didn't have I had an aptitude for it, but I didn't have a love for it. Mm. So, because a lot of other cooking, I think, comes from the heart. Pastry chefs are really have to be very detailed, and they're lots of yes. measures, very yes. precise. Yes, and I don't think you need that in the same way in other in yes. other kind of in sauce. You can be a little yeah. bit more kind of uh, flamboyant and use your initiative yes. a little bit more. Was would that be part of the reason as well? The, uh, the control thing, or uh, I think you're actually right there. Yeah, I mean, a bit of this and a bit of that in a pastry recipe doesn't, yeah, it doesn't tend really to work because go, it it? Yeah, yeah, everything yeah, goes yeah. out the window, and you yeah. think to yourself, I, I wonder why this doesn't turn out. Well, I kind of like to say, um, I mean, that's quite interesting when, when the allergen. Um, legislation came in two years ago it was that was the first thing that the chefs at the university you know complained at me about because you, you obviously we have allergen sheets um for particular recipes but you know if you if you don't if you if you divert or deviate off that recipe you you then need to fill out a complete um, yeah. allergen sheet and, and it is very difficult when you're you know when you're creating a something like a you know a beef bourguignon something you know the the, the 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 water the vegetables the stock cubes the 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 meat the density of the meat how fresh it is all makes changes to the taste and and that's the whole thing about being a chef is constantly tasting and adding you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that and yeah. and, and the allergen is makes that very difficult well not only the allergens but they're now talking about putting calories on every dish in every restaurant yeah. and, and you think this is the thing that scares me is we end up on this trajectory to being foods produced in a factory because that's the only yes. place where everything is literally yes. you know kind of measured to the finest yes. detail whereas as a chef you want to yeah you need to adjust yes. the dish yeah. you need to adjust yeah. the seasoning you need to add a little bit more vegetable a little bit more water a little bit more stock yeah. and that's the joy of food and yeah, yeah. to see that I, I, I understand the governance motivation but so often the solution they come up 
with is, is the opposite to what we need. We should all be eating more fresh food where we know where it's coming from, Absolutely. following the seasons, and not just having stuff that's produced in a factory because we know how many calories. Well, it. yeah, I mean that's that's consumer. That's the whole thing with consumers is 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 the fact that yeah we you know, people, yeah yeah. People want to eat strawberries on Christmas Day. Why? I really don't know. I mean, I enjoy you know strawberries when the sun's shining, um, and 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 you know with with some nice fresh cream. I, I don't really do I. No district, no disrespect to Israel, but I don't really. I, do, I don't need to be eating Israeli strawberries on Christmas Day. It's like you're, what, you're, yeah, how much you're, twist? You're going to get me in a lot of trouble with my wife, Nick, um, because I get very upset when there's Israeli strawberries in the fridge. I drive her bonkers because we've got a couple of young kids. My kids yeah. like strawberries more yeah. than they like, yeah. I don't know, a winter squash. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, so we end up with these bloody Israeli strawberries and I'm always like, you know, again, no offence to Israel, but, but new forest strawberries near where we live in the yeah, summer yeah, yeah. are a thing of yeah. beauty. Those hard little pellets that you get in the winter yeah. in the fridge. I drive my wife bonkers. She tells me to do the own bloody shopping. And if, you're eating those, if you're eating those, you'll missing making you know like an, a lovely pear tartan with with yes. with pears and apples and, you know, <laughs> I'm, gonna, it's, it's, I'm gonna play this to her and yeah, say you could yeah. be making a lovely pear tartan darling and uh, see if i get punched in the face um, we'll come back to that um to, not 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 my wife <laughs> no. punching me uh but uh, seasonality mm. and, and how we now mm. teach in a minute um but just to continue your kind of path and trajectory so you you win your bronze medal and uh, yeah. you finish your studies yeah. Where do you go? I understand you end up uh, travelling. You end up in Mallorca at some point. Is that uh, correct? Well, or? first of all, when I left, um, when I left uh, Polly, I went. I, I got. A, <laughs> it's always the bad thing, isn't it? When 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 the opposite sex are involved. So I, I, I it's quite common. I, I started. To, <laughs> I started to uh, to go out with with a girl um, that was in in the second year. Um, so. You know, and, and and that got quite serious. Um, and what happened was that obviously I I came to finish, so I wanted to do this this that and the other. But obviously she still had another year to go. So m most of my lecturers were telling me that I needed to go to to Paris. I needed to to go to Switzerland and stuff like that. But you know, the, your heart rules your head, as it always does. Um, so I I I, I very fortunate. I, I, the one thing in, in my life is that, that I've I've fallen into everything. Uh, and I don't mind telling you that. In 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 five years' time, when I retire and, and and I have to give my retirement speech, it will be that my my whole life is is a fallen into everything, and I, I've just always been really lucky. So I managed to get a job as the uh, as in chefing as a sous chef in in a hotel, a Whitbread hotel in uh, just outside Portsmouth in Haven. Uh, so I worked there. She was already working there in the weekends, uh, and I got a job there. So I worked there for a year while she she finished her her her, her last year, and uh, and then we decided to 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 we we were actually offered um, uh, to work for it, the pub was owned by Whitbread, and we were offered to to work for Whitbread to go on their management trainee thing. Um, I'm, because I'm a Virgo and I'm, and I'm also an only child, I'm quite, I'm, I don't have OCD, but I am quite particular about stuff, which is the problem is, is why I've always been pulled into management because people kind of see that organisational side of me. So um, we went into management, um, which is really good actually, because I'd done my three years chefing. I'd, I'd done 18 months as, as the sous chef in a very good restaurant that had an incredibly good reputation and um, which did me the world of good. But then this management thing came up and I'd never worked in a pub before. So we went off to work for 
uh, a company called, a new facing company called Beefeaters, which was something at Whitbread had just started up. Um, and we went in as, as training managers and I learned about bookwork and stock taking. I learned about how to run bars. My first manager that I had was, was an ex-accountant, which was wonderful because I learned the right way to do paperwork. On a Saturday, he on a Saturday night, he used to make me write all the ledger sheets out in pencil until they balanced. And when it balanced, I could then write over them in pen and then rub the pencil out. And so I learned, he, and I learned that you only read, you only write in red when when it's a credit. And and really old fashioned stuff, yeah, but it was brilliant. Amazing to learn that as a when you come from the back of house yeah, environment, it's yeah, so useful. So yeah. rarely do you have both sets of skills. Yeah, but. At the end of the day, it, it was it was one of the feelings in, in my life is is that I, I never really want to be typecast. So we did that for about eighteen months, and then I said to her one day, you know, it's it's you know I'm missing the stove, I'm missing the cooking. So in those days, the hotel and caterer magazine used to have pages and pages and pages and pages of jobs in the back because there was no internet, you know, telephone. You had to ring someone from the end of the road. So you know, if you wanted to get a job out there, and we actually applied for for a job that was in the hotel and cater, uh, which she did. And um, a couple of weeks later, she said, oh, you know, we've got an interview. And I said, oh, that's good. So she said, well, we've got to go to Paris. So we, we, we flew to Paris for the interview. They, for some reason, they when, when you look back, I think to say, well, I can't remember I agreed to offer this, but <laughs> they didn't actually tell, tell us who we were working for. They just kept referring to him as his excellence. But, you know, we were both, you know, kind of very early 20s. We came back to England. A day later, they rang up and said, like, you've got the job. You know, can you start in a month's time? So we said, like, yeah, fine. So we, we, we gave up. And they said, right, you, you fly to fly to, to Palma and Mallorca and we'll meet you there. And, you know, I mean, everybody was saying to us, you know, you don't know where you're going. You know, you're meeting. But, you know, but we did it because because we were young and crazy. And so we, we flew out to Palma. And it was then when we got there, when they drove us from the airport, and, and we turned up, a, an, and I'm talking about, this was probably in 1982. So if you imagine how much money is, money is moved, you know, it's, it's moved on to there. But we, we, we turned up at a nine million pounds motor yacht. Wow. It was huge. It, wow. had, it had a cinema, it had a, it had a double garage. Um, and, and they said, this is it. This is, this is your home. This is where you're gonna be living. And, and we said, well, we still don't know who we're working for. And they said, oh, you're working for Emil Saad. He's the king of Saudi Arabia, and this is his boat, and you're going to be his personal chef here. And my girlfriend at the time was 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 going to be the, the kind of host hostess of, of, you know, to look after the staterooms and everything else. And we said, oh, well, that's amazing. So, we yeah, so that was it. So we, we were working for him. He then... He owned half of uh, the biggest hotel in Maybaya, and he was having a replica of the White House built just outside Porto Banus. As you um, do. As you do. Um, so I spent a lot of time flying backwards and forwards, um, helping to design the kitchens and to get that up and running. Um, we did a couple of stints where, um, which is quite funny, at the time the King of Spain was Juan Carlos, uh, and what they used to do was that one Carlos's boat would come into um, Palmer Harbour uh, Marina, which was owned by Campbell and Nicholson at the time, and it would park next to, to the King's boat. Then what would happen was that, that one Carlos would turn up with his wife and they would get onto his boat, um, but there would be a plank that was put across and he would then walk with her across the plank onto our boat. 
the plank would then be removed, his boat would then leave, but as his boat left, so did all the press because all the press followed his boat and they actually had a, a, a look-alike on the boat. Um, and then about two hours after all the press were halfway across the Mediterranean following that boat, we would then pull out and the king would stay with us for a couple of days just enjoying some privacy with his wife and, and wow. we would look after him and I would cook for him. Uh, and stuff, and then, and then we would come back. Um, we had we had great fun, um, but yeah, after two years, um, I got homesick to be honest. I miss the rain. I miss the you know, <laughs> Palma and Mallorca and, and all that is lovely in the summer, but in the winter it's dead. There's no one around. You know, you can only get your hair cut so many times. It's you know, sometimes the king would fly in and spend a couple of hours on the boat, uh, and then he would go again. But the rest of the time there wasn't much to do. When I was on the boat, I was part of the crew, so. I was cooking meals for them, but, you know, then I had to help with some of the painting and stuff. So, you know, it was really good fun and it was an experience, but I realised that I needed to get back to the UK. I needed to get back and I needed to, to, to get back into... On the stove again, cooking. get on yeah. the pass, yeah. stress yourself out. I was going to yeah. say, because any chefs listening to all this are going to go, no, nah, that's not the trajectory of my chef career. You know, I've basically <laughs> been having an ass kicking every Friday and Saturday <laughs> night for the last decade. And there was you, yeah, on yeah. a yacht. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so so back into uh, the real world, uh, did you end up in, 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 what, in restaurants or hotels? Where did you go? I came the, back to from... England and, and, and because my parents lived in Portsmouth, I came back to Portsmouth and, yeah. I, and, and I thought that was just a natural thing. And, We'd literally been back about, we, we came back at the beginning of the summer and it was very nice. We had a couple of weeks, you know, seeing all the family and friends and stuff like that. But then, then I kind of realised that I hadn't tasted such a, uh, you know, a wild, um, you know, a fantastic life in abroad that, you know, I'd, I'd kind of, you know, Portsmouth, I'd outgrown Portsmouth completely. And um, it's quite funny. I think there's, 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 a, a, there's a, a line from a James... Uh, record um, where is is I could I could live with being if I hadn't seen such riches I could live with being poor yeah, and, and that probably sums up that period I, I I thought to myself so I said to my girlfriend it's you know it, it, at that stage it's still the same one um, you know I, we're we're going to go mad here it's just so unfortunately so she had a sister that actually worked for the MOD in London and um, we went up for the weekend to see her sister and. Uh, we went out on Saturday night. We went to, to Covent Garden, and 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 I just thought to myself, this this is the place to be. Um, and and I, it, you know, I just kind of realised that you know going back to Portsmouth was was just not going to be for me. So I, I remember actually getting to the tube station at midnight um, to catch the tube back to where her sister was living in South Kensington in Gloucester Road. And uh, they were selling the Sunday newspapers. And at the time, which now doesn't seem anything, but in those days, this is probably about 1985 by now, you know, I remember reading my mum and saying to me, you know, you can buy the the Sunday newspapers on a Saturday night so that when you wake up in the morning, you can have a cup of tea and read them in bed. It was just like... So anyway, I rang my mum up on the Sunday and I said, like, good news, bad news. I've had, I've had a lot, the good news is I've had a lot of the weekend. The bad news is, 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 is I'm not coming home. I, I just kind of love it. So we slept on her sister's... Uh, flat floor for about a month whilst we saved up uh, a deposit. Um, she got, uh, she managed to secure a job in, in Harrods, uh, which is really good. And uh, I, I, I went down to Fleet Street and signed on with an agency, did a couple of weeks, worked in a different few places, worked for the Daily Mail, I worked for British Scats at the top of Marble Arch. Um, and then I was fortunate that I got a week's booking in um, Fenchurch Street in EC2, 
Um, it's now called the Walkie Talkie, um, but I, I at then started, that's that's a new building. But the original building was owned by Kleinway Benson, which is the biggest merchant bank in Europe at the time. And um, the job was working with upstairs on the 32nd floor um, for the directors uh, of of the of the merchant bank. Um, at the time, it was uh, the Rue Brothers. It was Rue Fine Dining. Um, so I went there for a week, and at the end of the week, they said, "Like, yeah, we really like you. You know, sort of, basically, you know, sign off on the agency and come and work for us." So that, that's that's what I did. So, and I was working in the city um, in the heyday. Uh, I mean, I saw you know that we we used to have ice carvings on a, on a weekly basis. It was just money was no object. When I worked at Climate Benson, we used to spend about £25,000 a week just on caviar. It was just wow. quite amazing. Cooking for a lot of covers? Is this big, uh, big, big we used option? to have 14 private dining rooms and then we had a running hot and cold buffet upstairs for about the, the, the kind of, it was very much hierarchy. So the private dining rooms were for the directors of the Merchant Bank and then upstairs was what they called junior managers. Um, so yeah, that was wonderful. And yeah, Friday night, you know, the city stopped at lunchtime on Friday, everyone went drinking. It was just, oh, we had, I had, such fun times and it was just amazing and I've, I saw catering which which a lot of people will never see and, and I doubt whether we'll ever see it again I was going to say it probably was, doesn't exist like that anymore no I think. it was everything to excess yeah. I mean you know and we we used to have ice you know ice carvings like you've never you know swans and lilies and you know and when I talk about swans I'm talking about something that's as big as this table here and we'd fill it with caviar and oh my god. We wow. I remember on a Friday when we used to put the bins out, there used to be a queue of 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 of, of owners people that used to queue outside the McLean where Benson when we used to put the rubbish out on Friday because they knew it was just amazing pickings. It's yeah. just it was quite incredible. But that was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, without warning, um Black Monday came. Right. It was about ninety must have been, was it 91 Black Monday? Uh, yeah, and the whole city just imploded on itself. Um, that, that's, that changed the face of, of banking yeah. in, in the square mile. Okay. Um, and you know, that was unfortunately the time where, where traders were jumping off win, out of windows. It was a very dark time. And one of the first things that got cut was private dining rooms, entertaining uh, and stuff like that. And that's, that's unfortunately at the time, part of the Riggs, I work for the Riggs National Bank. I, um, and I'll be frank with you, it's this, and you know, we, I got made redundant. Um, but like all these things, like I say, I fall into things. I thought to myself, okay, I, I need to, so I took myself off to a recruitment agency and I said, look, I'm not necessarily looking for a job. What I want, some advice, you know, what, I'm I'm thirty I'm thirty one and you know yeah this is my CV this is this is what I've done you know what what do I do next and and I was very fortunate I, I can't even remember who they were but they, they kind of looked at it and said the problem is you've got no 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 big scale catering no commercial catering at which stage I I kind of froze because one of the things that I was taught when I was at was was at college was that 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 I was at the best of everything that, you know, I, I remember when, when I phone, went to leave and I was obviously, I said, like I said to you, I was going out with, with a girl that, that was at college. I, I thought to myself, well, I go into contract catering because it means that I'll get every weekend and every evening off. I actually mentioned that to one of my lecturers at the time. And, and I can tell you that he had me pinned up against the wall with his hands around my neck, um, saying to me that he hadn't spent three years 
turning out one of the greatest chefs that he'd ever seen for me to go into contact catering. So when 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 the, the careers guy said to me, you know, you need to go in, you know, you want big scale catering. So he was like, well, are you sure? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's the thing that's missing out your CV. You've got all this high end, you know, director's dining room, corporate, you know, the king of Saudi Arabia and, 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 and stuff, but you've got no commercial and that's what's missing. So again, um, I got made redundant, so I had a bit of money. So um, I had three months off, I went skiing, I played a lot of tennis um, and, and then somebody rang me up one day and said, look, this job's come up. It's a bit of a stopgap. So I said, what is it? And they said, well, it's a job as a general manager at, at King's College Hospital in Denmark Hill. I said, well, I'm a chef, not a manager. They said, yeah, but you've got management positions. And to be honest, they're actually desperate. They really kind of need someone. They want someone to start on Monday. So I said, okay. So, you know, Monday I went down there and, and that was it. I, I ended up staying there for, for eight years. Um, and it was quite interesting because obviously what I did was I took literally what the guy in the recruitment agency told me um, because... <laughs> King's College Hospital is the second biggest acute hospital in England. Uh, so we used to do it there. Uh, I think it was like 15, 1800 meals a day. Wow. Uh, that kitchen was open 24 hours a day. Um, so we used to do breakfast, lunch and supper. Um, we also used to provide all the meals for the Maudsley Hospital, which was was uh, was across the road, uh, and um, it was just huge. It was you know we used the butcher delivered three times a day. Um, it was just the biggest scale I'd ever seen. It was mm. huge. The, 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 yeah, I mean the storeroom was as big as was was some of the, the biggest kitchens I'd ever worked in. Um, but I loved it, and it was quite interesting because I tried to change. I tried to change the face. Or the perception of catering in in hospitals. Uh, Kings was one of the first hospitals to get their catering outsourced. Um, it was in a hell of a state when I got there. The day that I turned, the day after I turned up, um, the environmental health officer came in. Um, just very quickly, um, up until um, ninety two, um, hospitals and prisons had a thing called crown immunity, which means the environmental health officer couldn't go in there. It was called Crown Immunity, but they removed that in, they removed it not from hospitals, not from prisons, but they removed it from hospitals in 91. They gave all the hospitals Crown Immunity Fund, which was money to get their hospital kitchens up to scratch, ready for the, in 92, when they started to audit them. The King's College Hospital spent their Crown Immunity Fund on building a new mortuary and nothing in the kitchen. So the day after I started at King's, the environmental health officer came in and served the hospital with 150 infringement notices and 250 uh, um, penalty notices, and some of those with 24 hours notice on them. I mean, it was it was probably the biggest pile of SH1T I've ever walked into in my life, and it was just, oh my God, I'm so out of my depth here. I think, to be honest with you, I went out and sat in the car and cried because it was the enormity of it was 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 huge yeah. um but you know i got through it and, it and it made me a better person and and one of the interesting things was was it was king's college hospitals in denmark hill which is you've got 17 17 different ethnic minorities that use that hospital uh, the, the workforce i had 260 people that worked in in the catering department all from different nationalities and it was it was a great thing for me and i really really loved my time there that, that that I saw different you know I met different people from different backgrounds I, I learned so much about like things about halal about kosher food I, I learned things to do with with you know all about 
um, you know, different about diets, about diet kitchens, about and and I spent a lot of time on the wards. Um, and I was very fortunate. I, lot, I met a lot of famous people there because because they have lots of people. I I, lot, I met Princess Anne, um, Elton John actually funded two of the AIDS wards in Kings. So he used to come down. I met him a couple of times. Um, I completely changed the way that the, the children's wards work there. And I was very fortunate enough that I managed to get Ainsley Harriet on board. And Ainsley Harriet came and worked with me um, for a couple of weeks while we changed the menus and changed the way that we provided food on the children's wards. Um, and I had a really wonderful time there. It was, it was, it was hard work it, and, and, and you know, running a kitchen 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Yeah, because you never get a break um, was was thing. But you know, I was I was in my early thirties, and mm. you it, really paid was... for that time on the yacht, didn't you? And that yin yang of uh, yeah, I was thinking, God, that sounds a bit uh, easy. Kind of cruising one... around on a yacht, kicking for a few people, and then you're doing eighteen hundred meals a day in a hospital. You couldn't have a bigger contrast than that. Could you? One pound, just to put it into perspective, one pound seventy six per patient per day. Wow. Breakfast, lunch, and supper, and seven hot drinks a day. That that was That's your budget, insane, isn't it? Incredible. And and yet food is so important from a nutritional perspective. Much as I would like to uh, to stay on that, and yeah. that's much what I, I want to bring us into the present day yeah. because I want to talk around yeah. some of the stuff with training in the industry. So right, cool. just quickly, what was the trigger then to come back to Portsmouth? Uh, the trigger with come back to Portsmouth was uh, I left I left the hospital. I went to London Business School because I found I was being typecast in hospitals and I went to London Business School to spend some time there. I really enjoyed that. I then moved to... Um, the Institute of Chartered Accountants back into into the city, um, and then it got to the stage where my parents were were were, were, were my, my father had been taken ill, and the problem was was I found it very difficult to get down to see him. Both my children were at the stage where they were just about to start school, and and, and I thought to myself, at the end of the day, there's more to life than working, and and I want to see my parents. And at the time, my wife um, at the time. You know, I said to her, "Yeah, let's let's move back to the south coast." So we 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 just literally sold. It was just a bit of a whim because the kids were just about to start school. So we basically, yeah, we sold the house and and moved back down to just we we moved to Emsworth, which was just outside Portsmouth. Um, I didn't have a job. Going back to the falling into things, uh, I didn't have a job. Um, but some when I came back, I, I've been in Portsmouth. I've been living down here for about two or three weeks. Someone rang me up and said, "There's there's a job going at the University of Portsmouth." They're looking for a consultant to go in for two years to, to, to have a look at their, sort their catering out. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, by all means. So yeah, I came down and, uh, and, and, and got the job and that was, that was 18 years ago. But again, it was the whole falling into, uh, when I came down here, it was probably the, the, the nearest I'd ever got to an interview, to be honest, it was, it was quite funny. It was, yeah. and it was, I, I always tell a funny joke and, and I have told who was, my boss is retired now, but I did tell her, I, I came, to, to meet them, they gave me a whole load of blur. But I, when I when I met them and looked around the university, I, I was quite critical about some of the things I'd seen. But I thought they needed to understand where where they needed to get to. And um, when I left here, I, I I felt where that we we didn't kind of really get on that well. So it was a Friday afternoon interview. Uh, went home, actually threw all the details and everything that they wanted in, into the recycling bin because I just thought, you know, it, it didn't it, it didn't go particularly well. Um, Monday morning, I was I was I was looking after some some um, asylum um, uh, seeker um, holding units. They're catering in Brick Lane in London, and uh, I was up on the A3, and the phone rang, and. And the person that, that, that put me in touch with them said, like, you know, how do you think the interview went on Friday? And I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, 
I kind of got the feeling that it, it didn't go so bad. It didn't go so good. So they said, oh, well, well you know, we, they saw it very different from me. I said, like, what do you mean? They said, well, they actually loved you. They, they, they want to offer you the job. And when can you start? So I said, look, I said, you know, I, I need to make another call. Can I ring you back? So they said, yeah, fine. So I just literally rang my wife back and said, get outside now. Get that stuff out of the bin. <laughs> And I remember the day that I started, I turned up with that stuff, and because it had been in the bin all weekend, there was like tea <laughs> mags in it. So yeah, no, it was it was great. So yeah, and it was lovely to come back because some of the the, the, the thing was here from from when I was yeah, a student. Your early days and serendipity, so well, that, yeah, that yeah, kind of experience yeah, that you had must yeah. have been perfect. So your role is um, looking after the catering in the uni, or actually teaching other people to do catering, or both? Are you are you both sides? No, no, I look after. What I do is I look after all the catering across the the sites at the university. I also look after. Um, we we have an events. Um, set up as well which which we we do external stuff so that turns over about just over a million pounds a year so that runs a separate business then we've got all the 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 commercial outlets which are all the coffee shops and then we've got the catered halls of residents so the first year stay um i then look after um students union uh, students union here went bankrupt in 2005 so it was so i look after the bars uh, and i look after the retail side of the union as well so anything basically on, on site yeah. to do with catering and 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 I do mentor um, some of the hospitality students for some of their projects and stuff like that. So I get I get I'm 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 not a I'm not a lecturer, but I do I do help out with with the students when when it's usually in their third year they have to come up with a business idea uh, which they then have to put into practice and and that's usually when when they they they, they end up at my doorstep um, about how realistic their business plans are and how they're really going to kind of, whether that's going to stack up. So, um, but I also, I sit on the expert advisory board for the two local uh, FE, um, uh, FE colleges that, that do um, catering. FE is? Is further education. Okay. So universities is HE, which is higher education. So yep. two of the FE colleges, I sit on their expert advisory board. So I do work with, 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 uh, with them for that, so nice. So, how many uh, how many people are in your team now, and how many how many meals you you eighteen hundred a day in the hospitals? Oh, what are you doing now? Uh, Do you know? Well, we've count. got twenty six thousand. We've got twenty six thousand students and three thousand staff. So, if 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 you looked at it, we've got a potential of twenty nine thousand customers. We are a city centre based university, so people have lots of options to go out. I mean, if we look out the window, we can see Greg's and. Subway and stuff like that. So I mean, on a, on a, on a daily basis, we, we we're probably looking, we're looking after about kind of five or six thousand people a, a day, um, in in all the areas. But I mean, it's when I very first came here, we had dining halls where obviously things have changed. Students tend to eat on the hoof, as we call it, which is you know a coffee and a baguette. So the way that the we, we deliver catering has changed very much, and it's more now about coffee shops and and social spaces, um, not such much about what the old-fashioned dining halls where people sat down with a, a metal tray and a and a and a, a, a kind of you know beef stew and mashed potato. It's very much now you know sandwiches, uh, paninis, um, snacks, pots, um, you know, just literally kind of bite-sized stuff. So um, how many how many chefs are in your team then now, do you know? Uh, all together across there, I've got about 20, about 22, 23 okay. a, across the, 
uh, across the board. Um, I try to make them so that they all swap around, so they all do different things. So I've actually got one Starbucks. Um, I've got two Starbucks on site, but one of those Starbucks is also attached to 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 an area that does hot food. So we we I have one of my chefs in there. Um, so yeah, it's quite diversified, quite diverse. And it's kind of one of the interesting things that I've kind of done with the two H uh, with the two um, uh, FE colleges is is try to get them to be a bit more diverse with their um, with their um, curriculum is is the fact that you know catering has changed so much um, and and it, it, it's it's you know if you really really want to be a hard end chef um, working in a professional kitchen, um, those jobs are, are not as, you know, a lot of chefing jobs now are kind of different, you know, I mean, obviously since the smoking ban and we've moved over to gastro pubs, you know, a lot of, and you can get good food in gastro pubs. We've got some absolutely stunning ones out around South Downs where, you know, it's a pub and they're serving food, but the, that food is, is you know, is, it's like almost Michelin star food. So, you know, but it's a pub. It's in, and I think the smoking bans moved us into gastro pubs uh, and, and stuff like that. So I, I just, I, I tried to get them to, yeah, the curriculum to kind of include that whole, you know, getting chefs to understand that there's more than one business model now. When, when, when I trained as a chef and when you left, you, you were going to go into a professional kitchen with a brigade, with a head chef and a, and a sous chef and a demi chef and a commie chefs and, and all that, where now that kind of, you know, I don't want them to teach them thinking that because then it's too much of a shock when they go out to work and... Yeah, and the other part of the industry that I think probably needed to change, and, and congratulations, because you know, forty years now you've seen this, so you must yeah. have seen some changes in the kitchen. But the the, the um, industry had a really bad reputation, I think, for how it looked after people in the kitchen. So I suppose partly because of old Ramsay and his very uh, shouty approach. But even some of my chefs, fifteen years ago, coming up and doing stages in London, would come back with stories of you know eighteen-hour shifts, never seeing daylight, very angry head chefs, almost a military kind of style environment. I suppose slightly worse, having things thrown at them, and and. I I kind of get the impression that it you know it kind of put people off we, we, we people are, have different expectations now the youth coming up into the industry do you think it's changed do you think it needed to is that just part of the kitchen culture you said you're a virgo huh? <laughs> you said you're a virgo are yeah they angry um I, it's very interesting I, um the, my, the, uh, he's retired now but one of the vice chancellor that we had at the university he gave me a ring he rang out one day and he said to me he said you've got five minutes he said i need to talk to you somewhere else. so i kind of rushed over there because he's a vice chancellor and he said basically it's nothing to do with work he said my daughter's uh, studying at university in london and she's got herself a, a, an evening job and working in a restaurant she, he said but you know every night she rings me up kind of quite upset because you know when she goes in the kitchen there's lots of shouting and swearing and stuff like that you know and and, and i just wanted to ask you kind of is it you know, is, is that normal? And I said, well, I, I think what it is, is, is that the, the, the catering hasn't changed from, from the kitchen door. I think the problem is, 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 is the world in which we live in has changed and, and it's changed for the better. So we've got more diversity. We've got more, uh, you know, more uh, culture, different cultures. We've got, you know, more dign dignity and respect and stuff like that. So a lot of changed. Um, and I think the kitchens have had to change with it. Um, if I was... If I was was being honest from my heart, I think obviously you know the way that that, that, that we treat um, you know female chefs and 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 what have you uh, that that's all for the positive. I kind of lost. I think the, the, 
I, I grew up that way and and to me that's you know when 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 you they turned out chefs they 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 were real chefs and and they were quite amazing and uh you know somebody said to me one day about ramsey what all that shouting and i said yeah but if what you do is you, you look at gordon ramsey and you and you look at usain bolt right so just just transfer it a minute into to usain bolt usain bolt trains every single day every single day of his life he trains and 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 he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs and and, and if he has a bad day he runs again and, and he has, and, and he runs again and that's how he gets a gold medal that's how he is the best in the world go back to ramsey you know ramsey's got you know two three michelin stars you you don't get you know and he gets a michelin star because he he won't accept anything but the best and that's how you get a michelin star if you've got a Michelin um, inspector in your restaurant and, and somebody comes up with something that, look, that looks like absolute pile of crap, you know, Ramsey's not actually going to say to him, look, you know, I, I know I, I know that you're having a bad day. I, I know that, that, that your cat died this morning and, and, and I know that that looks like a pile of rubbish. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to let it go today. And, and but can you try harder tomorrow? You know, that's not how you get Michelin stars. The same as Usain Bolt won't have a, you know, won't get up in the morning and say like, well, actually, you know, I, I don't really feel like training today, so I'm, I'm not going to bother because he has to train every day to get to be the best in the world. Gordon Ramsay has to be like that because the best is only what you want. And I can see both sides of it. And and people that train with Ramsay and people that train with 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 Blanc and and people that train with all the top chefs, you know, they they yeah they get burnt out after 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 kind of twelve months. But then then that's they've done it and it's on there. You know, catering is 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 a bloody hard, is a bloody hard um, trade. And and thank God that the things that I saw when I first went out to work don't happen anymore. But on the other hand, is you know you don't get to be in bloody amazing and you don't get to be in the best by by taking second best and, and and i think that's the difference i think somewhere along the line in that kitchen culture diversity um equal opportunities uh respect has to has to meet the fact that you know you know people people and people that you know the customers go in there expect the best every time it's you know <laughs> I mean, you have to look at TripAdvisor. I mean, you know, if somebody make, it makes a little slip up, they, they, you know, you're, you're dead meat now. It's it's kind of like, but yeah, I, I you know, when I first went out to work, um, yeah, I, I I've I've seen some horrendous things in my time, and that that's not really acceptable. But I suppose at the time it was kind of all, you know, that 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 was the way it was. It was, you know, my first head chef. You know, if you did something, I, my first head chef when I went out to work was his mother was Italian, uh, and his father was Welsh. He had a temper on him like there was no tomorrow. But at the end of the day. Because of that, you never made mistakes because you knew that you were going to be dead meat. Where if he'd come down and put his arm around me and said, like, you know what, Nick, you know, you just you just kind of burn, you know, I don't know, a hundred pounds haunch of venison. This, you know, you know, can we try better tomorrow? It's not. It, it's just an, it doesn't. It's, uh, I always think there should be a documentary between on the pass where the front of house and back of house meet because the the, the two cultures are just so different because your front of house team are kind of having to look after somebody who yes. might be their birthday or their anniversary yeah. and they're pouring them champagne and they're singing happy birthday to them and it's all very lovey-dovey and there's a few hugs and high fives and can you take a photo mm -hmm. and then you go to the kitchen and, and the pass where they meet and in the kitchen 
everything's military. You know, you've, you're so precise on your yeah. timings. That souffle yeah. is going to sink in the next 90 yes. seconds if you don't get yeah. it to the table. You know, I've got 40 bloody, you know, meals that are due and I've got 18 tickets in yeah. front of me and I, I'm moving at speed. And you're having to bark orders in the kitchen in a yeah. very different way. That if you did that front of house, yeah. the, well, it, uh, the problem that happens is that when front and back meet and the, and the head chef makes the waitress cry and she's got to go out to the anniversary table mm. sobbing because she's gone into that zone, it's, uh, it's a fascinating little kind of couple of feet of the restaurant where those two cultures collide. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's interesting. And I've had numbers of conversations with, with head chefs saying, look, you're, you're not wrong in what you're saying, but we need some sort of filter just to kind yeah. of, just to soften it when you- when In you the middle of the service, house. you can't go out into the car park and have a group hug. I no, mean, it's, it's, it's quite uh, interesting. Um, in the past, the university of, of, of kind of, you know, obviously the university, the university is very diverse and, and, and they are very, passionate about looking after their staff and stuff like that. And there are, there are, there has been, uh, I remember going to, um, I remember going to a, uh, a, a half day lecture and it was about, um, it was about critical conversations and, 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 and they said, well, you should talk to everybody the same. And I said, well, I don't. And they said, well, you should. And I said, well, I don't. I said, I, you know, if I, if, if I go down to one of the halls of residence and I'm talking to the head chef down there, I can tell you now that the conversation that I'm having him is very different to the one that I'm having in the afternoon with the vice chancellor about the chancellor's dinner. Um, they are two very different conversations. The, the language for a start yeah, is very absolutely. different. And you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, if I went down to the head chef and said to him, oh, right, okay, so how are we gonna do about this? He's, he's gonna be looking at me, it's just like, you know, what is this bloke on? It's yeah. like, you know, I get, you go down there and I talk to him, how he, how, what he understands. Yeah. You know, I quite often have my chefs that go to meetings at, at the university, and then they come back and say, "Here, boss, can you can you tell us what they said?" But like, you know, yeah. in our language, because <laughs> because they kind of yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and you do have different conversations with different people, and 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 different times call for different conversations. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's in it's, many ways why I love this industry so much is because it is so diverse. There's no barriers to entry. A lot of people who come into chefing, I think, actually have found their kind of you know their niche and their opportunity, and they're less potentially less academic, but may well be better at, uh, yeah, at timings and speed and creativity yeah. and better with their hands yeah. and better with their minds than they are necessarily yeah. with their vocabulary. Yeah. And, and I bloody love the fact that you can still have an amazing career, an amazing trajectory and be really proud of what you've achieved mm. without having come from that kind of academic yeah. background, which is yeah. something that the industry should be proud of and should do more because it's still too much looked down on. But there's some amazing opportunities in this sector, but it is hard work. And the other thing is like now, you know, margins are so tight. And everything else is, you know, you know, back in back in the late seventies when I went out to work, you know, we had a couple of apprentices in in the hotel where I worked, you know, and they did make mistakes, you know. Sometimes, you know, you'd go over and they were filleting the Dover sole, and they'd made an absolute hash of it, and then basically you either threw it in the bin or or, or you just mashed it up for a mousse. But you know, now you, you, you know, if you went to any restaurant and they had Dover sole, they they couldn't you couldn't afford to make mistakes you know so at the end of the day the the, the actual the, the pressure on the chefs in the kitchen to deliver with such small margins is is massive and then and the days of allowing people you know probably even when i even after three years at univer at, at poly and i went out to work you know the, I, the chef ed chef probably allowed me to make mistakes because that was part of the learning curve but now people with with in restaurants and margins you know they can't you can't afford to make mistakes mm. you know that those 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 days have gone and and as i say it's it, it, it's a lot more pressure um 
And I think we're losing some of the skill set as well, because not only do you not want to make mistakes, but we probably make more. Because my understanding is when I chat to the, and you hopefully know about this from the FE side, but certainly in Bournemouth, there seems to be less people going into the catering college, um, less people wanting to do that classic chef training. Maybe a number of people coming into the kitchen still, yeah. but a lot, a, a lot of Europeans coming into the kitchens rather than the Brits. But they're certainly not getting that broad depth. When you mentioned 140 different potato recipes, yeah. people don't seem to be following that route into the kitchen Bad. anymore. Bad. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you talk to chefs now, yeah, they only know one potato recipe, and that's probably called McCain's. But yeah, I mean, the, the local FE college in Portsmouth is, you know, they had a fantastic reputation and stuff like that, but they've just shut a lot of their training kitchens because they did, nobody wants to do it. So, um, why is that? And yeah. what do we do about it? Um, well, because everybody wants to be in IT, everybody wants to be a media star, everybody wants to be on whatever those absolutely awful. TV programs, reality programs about people living on islands and stuff like that. that that's, yeah, but if you talk to the youngsters, that's that, you know, or they want to be in media. And it's just like, you know, well, we can't all do that. It's, it's, I think the only difference now is the fact that years ago, when, when I left school, you, you made your decision then what you were going to do. And, and most of the people that I probably went to school with, if I, if I met them now, was, was like me, were still doing the same thing because because what you did is what you stuck to and that was it. Where now, I mean, I, I meet people that are, are chefs um, that only came into it like, you know, they, they decided when they were 40 that they liked cooking and they've come into catering. And I think it's wonderful. And it's, you know, they, they, they make incredibly good thing, you know. Oh, I saw Master Chef on the TV and decided that's what I wanted. My wife said, like, yeah, I think it's really wonderful. and and. It's great. I, mean, I had a meeting with a guy a couple of days ago. He works for the university in the IT department, but he's decided he wants to. Um, he he he's he's setting up a business called Be Local, and he's been talking to a load of. Um, which is going to be a good link for you. He's been talking to a load of local farmers about you know actually how he can bring um, food straight from the farms to to people. So he's he using his IT T skills. He's setting up um, these web pages um, to to set up a way of how he can he, he can get fresh fresh veg. And also he's been talking to a couple of local farms that have like butchery actually on the farms. How he can actually get that produce, you know, skip skip the shop in the supermarket from from field to fork. Hmm. Um, and and he came to talk to me the other day because he said I, I want I just I know I know how passionate you are about food and I know how passionate you are about business and I, I just want you to kind of look at this and rip it to pieces and and tell me where I'm going wrong and stuff like that and I and I said no I said at the end of the day I think it's it's, it's a great thing and he's he's been in IT he just decided he wants to. It's the exciting thing about food and drink is we all we all have it and we all eat, we all drink. And yes. I've spoken to uh, a few farmers now and a few producers who are trying to do that through the farmers markets, that kind of direct to market, who yeah. actually don't either don't want to or don't don't want to scale to the point where they go via the supermarkets. Yeah. And 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 that's the interesting thing that the internet's doing. Although the internet is killing traditional retail, it is creating a route to market for people who are fairly small batch producers. And as the postal service seems to be able to get its head around how it can deliver chilled you know, produce and chilled yeah, food yeah. quickly and guarantee it. So I think mm. there is an, a, a whole new world opening them up. But I, yeah, yeah, I do hope that somehow we convince uh, convince a new a new kind of brigade, a new a new group of chefs to come into the industry. Um, you mentioned local there, and I, yeah. I know that's something you're passionate about. And you fundamentally come into a very traditional um, sector. It's huge. So to, to create change at this scale is challenging. But have you been able to stick by your principles and still believe in, in kind of ethical and local? And how on earth do you do that on this scale? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, 
I think it started off probably five or six years ago when we started to, to you know, the, the subject of carbon footprint come up and about food miles and stuff like that. And, and it was also, and again, this links back to, to my own upbringing, my own uh, early upbringing in in, um, in catering. And when I first went out to work and, you know, the, the, we, you know, the, we used to buy our, when I worked at the hotel, our, you know, the, the, the fishmonger used to come up from Hayden Island with the fresh fish and quite often when it was still flapping when we put it in the sink. Uh, you know, all our meat came from locally and stuff like that. And then we came away from that. So when the whole food Mars and carbon footprint started coming up and I started to, and then I had some kind of odd conversations with, I remember one of my chefs said to me one day, he said to me like, you know, oh, can you have a word with the, the um, I mean, obviously we, we, we buy a lot of food at the university from different sectors. He said to me, oh, can you, can you have a word with, with where we get our eggs from? Because I had an egg today and it had a bit of blood and a feather on it. And I said to him, well, you, you can cut this piece if you like. <laughs> I, I said to him, you know, did you realise where an egg actually comes from? I said, you know, it comes from a, ki- a, a, a chicken's backside. So it's like, an, it's a yeah, I know, boss, but like, you know. And, and, and I went away with, with that thing and I thought to myself, you know, oh my God, you know, if we, we actually become so far removed. I use this funny little kind of analogy that, you know, people think... That, that a chicken's actually born with a piece with a perspex tray on its back, um, you know. Yeah. So that's when I started. So I, I rang up the, the guy that supplies my eggs, and I, and I said to him, Look, you know, what's the chances of me, you know, I can get a minibus, put in a load of my chefs, and coming down, and 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 we go down to where the eggs are. And he said, like, well, okay, you've never done that before, but like, yeah, we can do that. So we said we set a date. I said to the chef, right, you're coming with me. All right, we're going on a, on a journey. We stuck them in a minibus. All our eggs come from Fluffits, which is is a, a free range um, place over in the New Forest. And we went over and 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 we turned up and we got out. And I said, right, this is where your eggs come from, guys. Oh, um, so here's some boots, right? You know, we're going to sterilise the boots and and we're going in the sheds. What? So I said, like, we're going into sheds to meet the the, the, the chickens. The quite interesting thing is with chickens is is that they're quite timid, but when they get together, they're they're, they're quite they're, they're a lot more braver and inquisitive. So when you actually go in the sheds, they will actually come up and start pecking your feet and stuff. Um, so yeah, they, we done these boots and we took them into the sheds and walked around and met the chickens and stuff like that. And 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 the guy told us, in, and it was quite interesting because this this free range chicken. Um, egg business has been in his family for for three generations. Why were the hairy? His mum turned up, and and then after we went there, we picked up you know about hundred eggs. But then we took the eggs back to the sheds, back to where they they sort them and grade them, and then they box them and everything else. And and he talked us all. We were there all afternoon. He talked us through everything, all the animal welfare, and everything about how the eggs are graded, um, about all that sort of stuff. And at the end of it. It was amazing because you could actually see their whole concept of of of, of that egg had, had changed, and, and it was really lovely because a couple of weeks later I was I was back in the same place where the guy the chef said to me about the egg and 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 he said to me he said boss that he said that he said that was really amazing and I said like yeah I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it he said the weird thing is now he said every time a box of eggs comes in and I open the box I'm almost like instantly transported back to that. That, that shed and, and the farm. And I said, yeah, that's called food providence. And he said, like, is it? And I said, yeah, because now you understand where the food comes from. And what I'd really like you to do now is actually 
when you get the opportunity is talk to the customers about it and talk to the customers with that same passion that you know that the eggs that you're cooking that they come from chickens that are really well looked after that spend all day outside that sleep in a nice warm barn at the end of the day i said and and and, and that would be wonderful and since then we've done loads of other things we've been to We've been to uh, an old flour mill where down in Dorset where we get our flour from, which is that, that flour mill was actually in the, in the Doomsday Book. And the mill still run uh, a lot of the day actually on the, by, the, by the water. Michael they Stokes. switch over to... Um, Michael Stokes, was it? Stokes, Stokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's so been on the podcast. Oh, right, it's not okay. out yet, but it's coming out in a couple okay. of weeks. So, so yeah, yeah, fascinating well, I, well, We took them down there. That, that, yeah. that, was, that was amazing. Uh, we've been to Chalkstream Farm uh, over um, again in Hampshire, um, where all, where the trout come from, um, and we spent the day there. Uh, and, and we've done yeah loads of kind of thing. Oh, we spent some time with the dairy herd. All the all the milk that we use at the university is organic. So we've been down to meet that dairy herd. Uh, got chased around the farm by the cows and stuff like that. But we understand we, they, they learn about how how. Um, why our milk's organic, um, about what the benefits of organic milk is. It was quite interesting because while we were there, we saw a couple of cows that were in the shed and somebody actually said to the guy, why, why the cows in the shed? And he said, well, those, those three cows have, have not been well. So the vet's been out to them. Um, the vet's had to give them some antibiotics, but that means that, that they're now in quarantine uh, for four weeks because I can't, say that the milk that they come from them is organic because at the end of the day because those cows have had antibiotics and those antibiotics will go through the system and come out in some of the milk so we need to keep those in quarantine until that's they're well enough and the antibiotics are passed through the body then we can put them back out into the field so then they kind of understood organic they understood what that stood for but they they met the herdsmen they met the cattle they met the, the herdsman's wife um and his kids and you know it's, it's that whole thing and it's just yeah. yeah, this is the point: is that behind, you know, our, our food and drink are all these amazing yeah. humans who who dedicate so much of yeah. their lives to it. I always say when I train my team, and I say, look, you know, even something as simple as the as the burger, you've got about think about the the baker that makes that bun who every day, you know, yeah. he's never taken his kids to school because every yeah. day he's up at four o'clock and he's down yeah. his bakery and he's making fresh bread mm. and the sacrifices that chap makes just to make the bun that yeah. you're, and that's just one of the components of what is yeah. considered to be a very simple dish. And coffee, you know, the fact that coffee's spread out and in the sun and you know the beans are picked out by hand and and you just think I, I don't I think we've become so disconnected from our food and drink and and where it's become gone from sort of you know thirty percent our expenditure to six percent of our expenditure we we don't give enough credit and, and we don't dip our hands in our pockets sometimes where we should and spend that extra 20 or 30p to know a little bit more about mm. the provenance of where food comes from so mm. so yeah so that's that's you know that last five minutes was a great example of the whole point of why why i'm having these conversations with yeah. people is to hopefully yeah. get it out not just to the chefs because i do the same with my mm. team it's, it's get them to understand it but actually get it out to the public and say look just uh, just care about well, you know where all this stuff comes yeah. from and let's yeah. not get to the point where everybody where everybody Things produced, uh, produced yeah, in a factory. I think, I think farmers get a bad deal. I mean, it's not until you go to see them. Um, uh, two, it was probably about two years ago, but we went over to, to, to over to Laverstock and met the guy with the with the the water buffalo. Yeah, uh, and that was amazing. I mean, he kind of loves those animals for so much. You know, okay, so you know, he slaughters six of a month now, but at the end of the day, he loves those. And, and I think that's sometimes with the chefs, they they actually kind of respect 
they respect the food more when it comes in because they know that the respect that the you know the people. It's a bit like when we went to see the dairy herd. Yeah, he he told us on the way back to the farm. You know, he, he inherited the farm from his dad. His dad's still alive, but you know, he hasn't had a holiday in two years. And then, and someone turned around and said, like, you know, what a shit life. You know, I, I wouldn't do that because you know, he must be really miserable because you know. But then when we went back. We got back to the farmhouse. His wife was there, and she brought out some cakes and tea that she'd made. And 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 I said to him, "Ask his wife. Ask her." And she said, "What's the matter?" I said, "I said one of my chefs want to know. Like, yeah, are you really miserable because you haven't gone on holiday?" And she said, "Like, look around." I said, "What?" He said, "Yeah, they they lived in this idyllic thatched cottage." She said, "I wake up to this every day. Um, you know." You know, why do I want to go on holiday? And I, and I said, well, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, no. but at the end of the day, it's just... But it's know. not a job at that point, is it? It's no. a reason for being. It's kind of you wake yeah. up every day and you do it and you love it. And uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like going to work. Because yeah. if it did, yeah, that that, yeah. that many hours. So uh, you've become a, a fellow of the Institute of Hospitality, I think, recently, I as, a, as a congratulations for your yes. graft and knowledge. 40 um, years. 40 years, yeah. Well, the yeah, hat's off to you. And for uh, maintaining that kind of... You know, level level of enthusiasm that still yeah. clearly comes across for for yeah. what is a, a challenging industry. Um, what advice would you give to young people coming into this industry then? Because, like I say, my concern is not enough people are. What's your sales pitch? How do you it, clearly for you? It's created the opportunity to travel around the world. You're 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 still continue to, to kind of live this really interesting life where you're meeting people. But yeah, what do you say is the uh, if people are thinking of coming into this? I, I think I think. The great thing about catering is, at, at the end of the day, is it's it's a really interesting job. It's a fantastic way to meet people. Um, and like we said about the front and the back of the house, you know, if you're one of the life's introverts, like I can be at times, you know, the kitchen is is a great place. You, you know, you make some. I've got, I've got. Uh, you know, the great thing about Facebook, that I've, I've got friends now that live in Australia and all the way around the world that I worked with when I worked in the city and we're still, you know, up in London, we're still friends and you make some real lifelong friends in, in catering. If you're one of the extroverts in, in, in life, you know, front of house, you know, meeting people. But I think the great thing about catering is it's got so many strings or, or kind of avenues to it. You know, if you want to travel the world, you know, once you've trained as as a chef or a waiter or or, or, or anything like that, you mean you basically. And the great thing about food is is the food food has its own language. So you know, it, it's the two things that people talk about in the world: are food and football. You you know, I I, I can go I can go across the other side of the world and, and meet somebody that that knows nothing. <laughs> He doesn't speak my language, so we can talk for some reason about football, um, but also about cooking and, and catering and, and food and stuff like that. And I just think it's there's so much you can do with it. You know, whether you want to go, to, whether you want to stay in Portsmouth, or whether you want to go to Brighton, or whether you want to go to London, or whether you want to go to Ireland, whether you want to go to Europe, whether you want to travel the world, it's it's a great experience. And there's so many. I mean, look at me, diverse things, you know, from private dining to hospitals, to schools, to to asylum um, kitchens, to, and all things like that. There, there's so many, you know, when you get bored of something, there's there's other avenues to, to, to follow. And I, and I just think, and the great thing about it is that all you really need is passion. I mean, you have to kind of obviously have some kind of, you know, aptitude for it, but it, it, your passion will see you through everything. You just have to be kind of passionate about it. You know, when I left school, I had one one GCSE, which is home economics, which I told you about in the book. Um, 
I'll be honest with you that I'm, I'm dyslexic uh, and, and, and I'm also deaf. Uh, a lot of the time, if I go to big meetings, I, had, I have to wear a hearing aid. And, and, and those have always been with me. But I can tell you now what most people would say one of those is, is a disadvantage. Um, it hasn't been for me because I've not allowed it to be. Because at the end of the day, I love cooking, I love people, and I'm passionate. And that's seen me through all of it, um, you know. Um, and, and that's it. And I just think to yourself, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got a real passion for that, or even just the hospitality industry, it's just a great place. You know, I've met some such wonderful people and I've had some incredible times. I've, I've been to some amazing places in the world. Um, in three weeks time, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling, I'm flying out to LA. I'm, I'm, I'm spending a couple of days in some universities in LA. And then I'm traveling down to San Francisco and I'm spending a couple of days in some universities in San Francisco, you know, meeting there, catering people, and then I'm flying back. And, you know, that's, that's with work. That's, you know, that's the opportunities that you get. Um, so it's not all an ass kicking on a Saturday night at 10 no. o'clock in the middle yeah. of service. And yeah. even when you are, that is, it is a buzz and you're yeah. right. It does create that camaraderie. I think if you've, uh, if you've been in that situation, yeah, yeah. Uh, it creates a real teamwork. Um, I could chat to you all day, but we, we've, we've, it's an hour and 20 minutes, uh, believe it or <laughs> no, not. People will be, uh, we, they'll have lives to go yeah. and live. Um, you came here for two years, 18 years ago. Uh, yeah. What's next? Or are you, uh, are you settled? I have, I have five years left for, for my official retirement. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's quite interesting at the moment. I've been doing a lot of work with the plastics. So um, I've, I've kind of carved out a bit of a reputation as, as being the, 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 the single-use plastic. Um, we've done a lot of work at the university. We're leaving single-use plastics, you know, cups and and knives and forks. Uh, just after Christmas, we went over. We've gone back to using good old-fashioned milk bottles, um, glass and, ones, uh, yeah, yeah, glass ones and stuff like that. So, so that's that side of things. I've done a couple of interviews on BBC Radio Solent about things that we've been doing with um, with that. And again, the whole thing about Portsmouth being an island and the beaches and getting people involved in beach cleans. Uh, I was at a meeting last night with with um, band, yeah, sing, uh, Portsmouth Plastics people, and you know, I, I like to get out and, and, and meet people because the university sometimes just get a, like a bit of a, of a kind of bad name because people only see the bad things that students get up to, like dropping litter and, and getting drunk and stuff like that. But they do a lot of other good stuff as well. So yeah, I, I'm 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 kind of. I'm, I'm as busy as ever, um, and, and, and I'm happy. So yeah, it's it's retirement. It's lo looming, like you said, in, a fellowship of the Institute of, Child, of Institute of Hospitality. It's a bit like when they they wheel these really old actors out and give them the um, what is it um, outstanding. Um, Lifetime achievement yeah, or something like yeah, that. I think it's like one of those. Those are one of those sort of things you get at the end of your career. Yeah, but no, yeah, I, I still got, I still got a lot to give, and Good. and I enjoy. Yeah, working with, with young people and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, well, uh, thank you for sparing the time. Congratulations no, on what you've you. achieved. I think thank you will continue to uh, inspire people, particularly around, uh, you know, where food comes from and provenance. And it's yeah. nice to know that you're passing that baton on to the next generation. But thanks for sparing the time. I'm sure we'll touch base thank again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 
please go and visit our website humansofhospitality.co.uk for the show notes and extra episodes and information and whilst you're there don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry lastly if you could subscribe rate and review this podcast you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated thank you so much we'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time cheers Cheers.